Welcome to Minutes with Mary, special podcast mini-series on conversational intelligence. I'm your host, Mary Stellatello, and I'm joined by co-host Deb Shannon, another certified conversational intelligence coach. We decided to launch this mini-series to offer tools to have the conversations that we are called to have during this time. We're living in an era that has rocked our foundation on so many levels. The global pandemic, racial reckoning, economic collapse, and the climate crisis. It can be paralyzing. Every conversation resonates in and around us. Conversations stick with us internally, and they stick to us externally. On the outside, people sense dis-ease in one another. So you can't effectively hide from a bad feeling conversation, whether that's at home, at work, or in your community. However, we can find our way together through conversations that build trust. Each episode will offer tools and resources to have conversations to transform the world. We aspire to create a sense of relief and confidence that small and sustainable changes are possible and it is a matter of mustering the will to take that next step. So let's get started. In today's episode of the Conversational Intelligence mini-series, Deb and I discuss more tools to remap relationships toward greater trust and navigate conversations with greater success. When things start to go awry in conversations, it's often due to assumptions we make from an I mindset rather than a we mindset. When you are more aware of your own thought processes, experiences, and assumptions, you can shift them to consider the larger picture and the result, higher quality conversations. Hey Deb, it's so great to be back with you for another episode of our Conversational Intelligence mini-series. How are you doing today? Hey Mary, it's great to hear your voice. I am thinking about this deliberately developmental organization concept that I learned about last week. It was researched by Robert Keegan at Harvard, and it's really about learning organizations And since I heard about it, I've been trying to parse out the learning that happens in an organization from how the work actually gets done. And I keep asking myself, how do we integrate our learning experience into the learning culture to maximize work quality and team satisfaction? And it's a big, fun concept to include in the future of work conversation. How about you, Mary? What's going on with you? Oh my gosh. So Deb, I feel like we could have a whole separate episode about deliberately developmental organizations because I have also recently done some work in learning more about that concept, but we'll put that in the bike rack. And wow, coming into today's call, I have just had a really full week. I've been in a training to get certified in a new leadership 360 assessment tool. And it's so interesting how when something's top of mind, you all of a sudden notice it everywhere. So for our listeners who may have not uh, been with us in previous episodes, we discussed the term blind spot and how I learned from a client that this term was ableist language and made the assumption that people who are visually impaired 
had a, a deficit rather than just obtaining information in different ways. So here I am in this training with 24 other coaches and the term blind spot is used in the assessment tool. So it gave me the opportunity to share my learning and also the resources I have come across regarding inclusive language. And I shared those with those coaches. And it was just a wonderful opportunity to continue this shared learning and co-creating transformational conversations. So I was pretty excited about that. So Deb, we told our listeners that we would continue to explore a few more of these conversational assumptions in today's episode. So where would you like to start? Thanks, Mary. I think it would be great if we start with the assumption that if you are listening, so you think you actually know what others really mean. And I can actually tell you what's happening in the brain as we're thinking we know what others mean. This assumption is really characterized by the notion that meaning resides with the speaker when it actually resides with the listener. And the way it works is that as you listen, you're trying to make meaning from the speaker's words by drawing on your own experience vault in your limbic brain, which is where we create memories and process emotion. So that's why as a listener, what you see in your mind's eye can be a completely different picture than what the speaker sees in theirs. Meaning resides in fact in the listener until the speaker takes the time to pause and validate that you share the same mental picture and meaning. So all listening and understanding happens through the limbic system, which includes the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the amygdala, and the hippocampus. And as I just said, emotions are processed here and memories are formed here. So these two events happening simultaneously in the same place create a recipe for powerful movies of the mind. And it's really a potion for mix-up potential. So given that there's no such thing as a purely objective memory, how do we construct conversations allowing our partners to clarify and distinguish the personal experience from which they form their understanding, right? So we see a need for this often in intergenerational conversations. Millennials speak from a different experience than baby boober colleagues do. And I really don't want to couch all miscommunications in an age-based framework. Rather, I really do think it's important to note that this is one thing that happens, and it's definitely a topic of work that is applicable in some situations. So simply being open to the possibility can really help people identify the issue sooner and grow with it. So true, Deb. And you know, this really makes me think about one of our previous episodes when you mentioned that you work with a lot of engineers and you're not a trained engineer so that they 
use all kinds of language that you're not familiar with and your brain's dropping out every 12 to 18 seconds because you're going to that limbic vault like a file cabinet to try to find some kind of past experience that might bring that meaning to the surface for you. And you may also be feeling panicked because you don't know what the heck this person's talking about. So what happens in this exchange? Yeah, this is a great one because it feels like brain gymnastics sometimes. I know that I'm multitasking and I want to look like I'm focusing on the individual who's seeing my face as I'm going through these hoops in my mind. So the listener, me in this situation, is pulling together thoughts and emotions and trying to create meaning of what this other person is explaining. And as they're explaining, I am creating this powerful movie of the mind based on what was explained last time, different phrases that I've heard before, and intentionally or not integrating my feelings about how I gained that learning along the way. If the speaker doesn't recognize that meaning rests with me, the listener, and uses the classic phrase with me, are you with me? And there isn't enough trust between the two of us for me, the listener, to be able to say, wait a second, I'm not really sure. Then we're just going to head down two different forks in the highway. (laughs) And the listener, me, thinks they know the meaning, and most likely it is different than the meaning the speaker was trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how do we narrow this assumption gap, Deb? Well, I guess the easiest way is to start with the conversational essential that we already discussed, double-clicking, and also asking open-ended questions. The listener could double-click and say, wait a sec, I'm not sure I understand that word stacking or Ruby on Rails to take some of the developer's language that I get exposed to. Can you say more about what you mean there? And the speaker can use open-ended questions asking the listener, and this is key, this makes a huge difference in how the conversation ends up. What are you understanding? Or what are you taking away from the process as I've explained it so far? And that's how you start to narrow that assumption gap. So eventually the speaker and the listener are leaving with the same idea in the movie of the mind. Mary, what's another assumption that we experience in conversations? You know, Deb, this assumption is similar to an assumption that we talked about in our last episode of I can still empathize while I'm in fear. But this assumption is actually broader than that, in that feelings in general don't change my reality. So it refers to your failure to realize that your emotions will actually change how you see and interpret reality, which then in turn changes how you communicate that reality. So if you're in a state of fear or distrust, you produce cortisol. This causes you to move into that primitive brain, which then triggers your protective behaviors that can 
hinder a productive conversation. And that's what we talked about. Or if you're in a state of joy and calm and ease with a high level of oxytocin, you are accessing that prefrontal cortex part of your brain. And the area that gives you access to empathy and strategic thinking and innovation. You know, I find a really interesting example of this assumption is literally when you watch a movie with someone else. So, of course, lately we've been spending a lot of time watching movies. And I recently watched Fences with Viola Dalias and Denzel Washington. And I, I think you also mentioned you had seen it too. And there's this incredible scene. Let's call it the 18 years of my life scene. Mary, what I found so powerful in this scene, especially relative to the assumption that my feelings don't affect my perceptions, was Denzel's language. He was so tempered and articulate when he said, I am trying my hardest to explain this to you. And while that could be an excuse to mansplain something, that wasn't what actually came across. And the contrast that I noticed in Viola Davis's character was that she had tears streaming down her face when he said, 18 years of my life. And that looked to me like she had been triggered. She responded to that by saying at volume, why she behaved the way she did over the last 18 years. And it just wasn't productive to connecting with him in that moment. They were talking at each other. And if she had been able to realize that her families did in fact affect her perception of him in that moment, not over 18 years, but in that moment, she would have been able to ask him a question like, can you explain this to me, rather than counterpunching 18 years of your life with what about 18 years of my life? Deb, I love this. This is exactly what I meant by people coming out of watching the same thing with a completely different experience. So my interpretation of this scene was that Denzel Washington's character went through several of the characteristics of being in his primitive brain. Having been flooded with cortisol, yes, he did try to explain himself, but then he froze. And by the end of the scene, he went into complete fight mode and lashed out. So both of these characters had no chance of a quality conversation because their emotions had overridden their ability to access that prefrontal cortex of their brain where empathy resides. Yeah, I can see that too. I can see how you saw that in his character, Mary. So how do you check that assumption around your feelings changing your reality? Really good question, Deb. And you know, it really begins with self-awareness, but going back to the very beginning of knowing yourself and asking yourself, what's my inclination about this topic or in this situation or with this person? And that gives you the baseline 
And then you really need to challenge yourself to activate another conversational essential of being open to influence. So Deb, do you want to give an example of how you might put yourself in a mindset of being open to influence? (laughs) This is a good one for me because I am very susceptible to the assumption that feelings don't change my reality and that I am clear and fluent, and even in my tones all the time. But going back to the engineering conversations, if I had a difficult time understanding a concept the first time it was explained to me, a related concept, the introduction of a related concept will easily put me in a defensive state because I really don't want to feel inadequate again. Even though my engineers are so generous in explaining patiently. So to stem that inclination on my behalf to be defensive and to improve the odds that I will actually be open to learning and be able to contribute to a conversation, I practice affirmations. Lots of people do this before job interviews. There are plenty of situations to use affirmations. And I often feel like I'm being tested. So I tell myself I am capable and experienced and people invited me to the table because they count on me to ask good questions. And that's why my ideas are valuable to them. And you know, Mary, it's all too easy to allow ourselves to focus on negative terms and experiences. Like I just described feeling defensive and I can identify my gaps. But truthfully, the reason that I do this work and the reason that it's so much fun to work with you (laughs) is that we can experiment with the power of positive conversations and words. So when we intentionally employ positive, reinforcing, supportive language and make notes of the results of those conversations, what went right? Then we create personal data points That's the reference point in my limbic brain for going forward, along with the positive movies of the mind of success. And these become the DNA of our conversations. The challenge at first is to remember to model this positive approach. So for example, we just talked about how emotions change reality. And whether the emotion is related to a past experience or it's a current state, it affects which parts of the brain I'm able to actually access. It is really important to consider the benefits of positive emotion too. Earlier, I talked about not wanting to feel inadequate. Well, when people respond enthusiastically to my questions, For example, they say, that's great that you asked that question, Deb, because now we know that the average person will need a lot more clarification. Then the oxytocin floodgates open, and I'm able to expand on what I do understand and use it to really test the engineer's work. Wonderful example of how to use positive language to actually elevate our DNA data points. I love that framing. So Deb, we're at that time in the podcast where we turn to our listeners and we ask them to reflect on a 
recent conversation. And instead of asking a question about where something didn't go right, I'm going to do a flip here. And I'm going to say, did you notice that maybe you had a gap in understanding and you were influenced by your emotions? Well, good for noticing because that's the first step. And maybe you even opened yourself to influence or you might have even paused to double click. All of those are data points and steps in moving to more powerful transformational conversations. So perhaps you were lost in the conversation and you just let it continue and kind of created your own movie of the mind. But hey, I know there'll be another opportunity. So next time that happens, take a deep breath. Slow down your autonomic nervous system, which is what pumps the cortisol, and check in with yourself. Am I open to influence right now? Or check in with that other person by double-clicking on what they're saying. These two practices will help close that reality gap and keep you both on that conversational highway moving in the same direction. So in our final episode of this mini-series coming up, we'll recap some of our favorite tools and concepts to put them right at your fingertips, listeners, so that you can muster the will to have that next challenging conversation. Deb, as always, it's fantastic to join you along this conversational highway. Thank you so much for our conversation today. Thank you, Mary. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Minutes with Mary Conversational Intelligence mini-series with your co-host, Mary Stellatello and Deb Shannon. Do you want to continue this conversation? We'll hop over to either one of our LinkedIn pages at Mary Stellatello or Shannon Coaching. You can listen to all episodes on either of our websites, Vista Global Coaching and Consulting website, at vistaglobalcc.com or Shannon Resources website at debshannon.co. If you like what you hear, let's connect on Twitter at vistaglobalmary and CIQshannon. We look forward to connecting for our next conversation.